listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 311. Paige? Yes. It is so hot outside. I know. You know how I know it's hot? My plan almost died. Besides that. How? Our guard dog who is here, Tucker, brought his own milk with him. What? <laughs> he has a bottle of milk. Oh, he likes opening anything that's bottled. <laughs> it's just so hot, the guard dog has to bring his own hydration with him <laughs> in the studio. Yeah. Speaking of non-hydration, we got a really cool review. Well done, steak on the go. And I'm going to tell you right now, anybody that compares us to steak is a buddy of mine. Yeah, but well done. Well, we don't like our steak well done, but I don't think that's what. I know, I know. Diego Rudy Mint. Well done, steak on the go. Wait, we only got four stars instead of five. Succulent, punchy, right level of detail for staying up to date on the go. Only suggestion is to broaden to cover relevant oil and gas headlines in other regional areas as well. Oh, that's why we got the four star. Keep uh, up the good work, guys. And that's well, from, give me some, send me some from somewhere else. That's I from Diego I... Rudy from the United Kingdom. And let me tell you, I think we do a pretty good job of covering the globe. Yeah. It's hard. So, first thing, we try to cover the entire industry yes. upstream, midstream, downstream, and the service companies. Second thing is, it's a global business. So, we try to cover other parts of the world. So, maybe we'll do a little bit better, but I think we do a pretty decent job. Give me some more news sources. That yeah, are, send us some news stories from the UK. Maybe stuff that we don't run across would love that input. Right, exactly. So if you'd like a shout out, just like Diego Rudy from the United Kingdom. I think that's Django. Django, okay. Just leave us a review. If you go to the show notes, there's one link. It's easy, easy, easy to click and give us a review. We love our reviewers. Let's get into the news stories. All right. First up, ExxonMobil announces acquisition of Dunbarry. Where did we hear this? Oh, hot. Yeah, that was you. Ago? That was you. Yeah. So this is literally a marriage made in heaven. I knew that. Ex- I didn't know. I don't have insider information, but I suspected ExxonMobil is going to pick up Denberry for a very long time, especially around their CO2 business. We have a lot of friends over at Denberry, which I'm not calling it Denberry Resources anymore. So give me a pat on the back. A lot of friends at ExxonMobil. This just fits perfectly in ExxonMobil's carbon capture and storage business. There's no other operator out there that's doing a better job of that than Denberry. So ExxonMobil does what it always does. Is it looks out in the horizon and says, who's doing a really good job? Buy them. This is, like I said, a great fit. It's going to give Denberry a lot of access to a lot of capital that they normally wouldn't have. It gives Exxon a further piece, their carbon capture and storage building. A lot of synergies here. Denberry has largest owned and operated CO2 pipeline network in the U.S. at over 1,300 miles, including over 925 miles of CO2 pipeline in Louisiana, Texas, and Mississippi. One of the largest market for CO2 emissions, as well as 10 strategic located onshore sequestration sites. So this is just perfect for ExxonMobil to pick up. ExxonMobil is going to bring its capital, its domain expertise, its reach to help amplify this. Chris Kendall, Denberry's president and chief executive officer, made a really good comment. This transaction is a compelling opportunity for Denberry to join an admired global energy leader with a low-carbon focus, a robust balance sheet, and a leading shareholder return program. Mic drop. I'm going to leave it alone at that. This is something that's great. <laughs> it's good for everybody. So happy to see this happen. Don't follow me for financial advice, but I have to say I did call this a long time ago. 
All right. This one's pretty interesting. Traces of explosives were found in a yacht in the Nord Stream sabotage investigation, diplomats say. Yeah, so this is straight from Berlin. This is really, as your point, Paige, is really is interesting. So Denmark, Sweden, and Germany has been investigating this attack. You've heard us talk about it since almost from day one. Actually, I think we talked about six hours after it happened. The Danish foreign ministry had a letter that went out Tuesdays saying they have some more information on what's going on. Basically, they found traces of subsea explosives. Now, let me be very careful here. They found traces of the exact explosives which were chemically matched with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. So they're calling it subsea explosives. I happen to know it's the exact chemical composition. So this vessel had something to do with it. It was a yacht that was on the Baltic Sea. They've mapped the position of this yacht. This yacht was in the area when the sabotage happened. At this point, it's not, we don't know for sure exactly what happened. We don't know the identify the perpetrators or their motives. However, we do know that this yacht was on location, and in the subsea explosive they found matches chemically exactly to the ones that were used in Nord Stream, to the Nord Stream 2, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not bombing, terrorist activity, yeah. right? And so yeah. this is going to be a lot more to come out of this. You know, this is the 24th of July, 2023. Just this morning, I saw where there's some new evidence, once again, trying, the other countries are trying to point the finger at the U.S., but this new evidence actually coincides almost exactly with this yacht being found with the explosives. I do know this much. I do know that the owners of this yacht are in custody right now, and they're going through interrogation. So I suspect we're going to find out relatively soon more of what really happened here. Well, I've heard rumors that it's Ukraine, that some Ukrainians paid those people. So, so that's speculation. That's speculation. speculation. I actually think that's a strong possibility. My gut still tells me that Russia had something to do with this. I know it sounds backwards, but let's see where this thing goes. This is almost starting to turn out to a made-for-TV series. <laughs> All right. U.S. refinery capacity increased at the start of 2023 for the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so this is not going to sound like a lot. So the U.S. refining capacity increased 0.6% at the start of 2023 compared to the start of 2022. Let me tell you what that means. That means all of our refiners in the U.S. who have been running wide open since the pandemic, who have not had a chance to do plan maintenance and repair, finally got a chance for a breather. They got a chance to go in, retrofit, do repairs, plan maintenance, pull those units offline, bring them up to current standards, bring them back online. That's why you have this increase in refining capacity. This is great. We still are running behind. The world's still in an energy shortage because of refinery constraints. We have 129 refineries running right now in the U.S., down from 130. Now, that one that was lost is a small facility in California. Go figure. <laughs> it really didn't add a lot to U.S. refining capacity. It was actually a specialized refinery. But this is really good news. Now, remember, this small increase does not reflect changes in the refining capacity. What it does is actual the output. And right now, our refiners are still running in the high 90s as far as capacity. We need to drop that down to the low 90s, which is right where it needs to be. We're heading that direction. So to all the companies and people and contractors that kept these refineries running wide open the last couple of years, hats off to you. Looks like you got a little bit of a break. Good to see this. This is more and more us getting back to the normal energy balance in our world. Good yeah, stuff. Good stuff. Biden government denies refinery pleas for bio fuel blending exemptions speaking of not good stuff let me before i get in this article let me tell you something i've learned or something i suspected for a long time but i actually did the research and have the numbers so you know you hear a lot about deforestation in the world especially in the our world's rainforest specifically brazil and africa yeah 
So the reason that people in those countries are cutting down the rainforest are several. One is they're poor and they need the wood for fuel. Makes sense. Right. Number two is they're cutting down the rainforest to grow crops to make money once again to feed their families. Yeah. The two biggest crops are palm oil and organic foods. And let me tell you the reason I'm bringing this up. You go, well, so what? They're growing palm oil. They're growing palm oil to make renewable diesel and jet fuel. The market for palm oil has gone up so much that's worth financially to clear, cut down rainforest, clear cut rainforest, plant palm oil, and then harvest it and sell it back here in Europe to make renewable diesel and jet fuel. So for all the people out there that are applauding renewable diesel and jet fuel, remember, you're contributing to cutting down the rainforest. This is serious. The next biggest crop they're growing is organic foods. So if you're somebody that buys, let's say, organic bananas, you may not know this. It takes basically about four times as many banana plants to deliver the same crop of organic bananas as it takes non-organic because the non-organic, they're using pesticides and herbicides. They're making sure the plants are healthy, well-fed. They're controlling pests. Whereas organically, you can't do that. So you have to plant much more bananas and all organic foods are like this to get the same yield. So I don't want people to feel guilty about eating organic foods because it's helping cut down the rainforest, but it is contributing. The ones that really should feel guilty are the ones that are contributing to the laws and regulations to make biodiesel and biojet fuel competitive because of tax incentives, which are contributing to the destroying of our rainforest. This is horrible. But this article right here about our current administration denies refinery pleas for biofuel blending. Basically, quite a few refineries, mid-sized and smaller refineries are saying, hey, making us buy a competitive product that's expensive hurts our business. Can we please not have to buy as much of it? And the federal government basically said no. They rejected 26 applications basically saying we don't really think there's an economic hardship caused by the compliance of new fuel standards. However, they're completely wrong, especially for the smaller refineries. And I've talked about this before. You've created a, it's not necessarily a black market yet, but it's a gray market renewable fuel standards where people do things that they really shouldn't like buy a diesel truck full of gasoline from some refinery somewhere, buy some ethanol, dump the ethanol and that gasoline now they've created renewable fuel standards. They didn't sell that ethanol gasoline blend to the closest gas station because they don't care. They make their money on selling the renewable fuel standards to the refineries, like the ones we just talked about, the 26 that had rejected applications. And there's no regulation on how those were priced. So this is really a mess. Now, of course, the biofuel advocates have argued that these waivers saying they diminish the renewable fuel standard, which they should, and dilute the power of annual blending requirements. We shouldn't have annual blending requirements. The refinery should be allowed to blend or not blend whatever they see based on what the market will bear. And then, like I said earlier, learning that palm oil is contributing to the destruction of rainforests around the world because of renewable jet fuel and renewable diesel just really bothers me. This whole thing needs to go out the window. It won't. We'll keep an eye on this. The good thing is we have an election cycle coming toward us, and hopefully the next election will have some more common sense in our energy mix than we have now. Maybe. Okay, so next one is HSBC leads peers in advancing climate agenda among big oil analysis. Yeah, so HSBC, if you don't know, is Europe's biggest bank. They're right now the only large European investor to support climate resolutions on all the all majors. Let me translate this for you. HSBC, you're getting ready to have your clock cleaned by all the other investment banks in the world that have gotten away from ESG and holding investment dollars back unless you meet certain climate and environmental resolutions, which actually nobody really agrees upon. You're getting ready to hurt your shareholders and your business. I would not be surprised if it hurts you so bad that somebody else picks you up. 
So basically, the fund managers are emphasizing environmental, social, and corporate governance issues before they release money to the oil and gas companies. They voted at a shareholder meeting to push the oil and gas companies to change. If they would just pick their head up out of the sand and look around, they've noticed that the oil and gas industry tried to change. It didn't work financially. It hurt shareholder value. It hurt returns. It hurt employees. The industry's realized it needs to go back to what it's good at, which is hydrocarbon business, which drives the best return for investors. Other investment organizations outside of HSBC have realized the folly of, of enforcing investment dollars around ESG rules. HSBC, this is a bad move. I promise you, audience, somewhere in the future, I'll be talking about how they either went bankrupt or they got bought based on this decision right here. There you go. All right. Next article, EPA finds Callan Petroleum Unit $1.3 million for emissions violations. So, as much as I don't always like what the EPA does after doing some research in this, unfortunately, Callum Petroleum, you deserve to get fined. You were given warning. The emissions were documented over and over and over again. Looks like, at least from the outside, you did little to nothing to fix these emissions. And so, the EPA came in and fined you. Now, you did this at a time when you also made a huge acquisition from percussion petroleum operating, which means you had the money because you were able to buy these Eagle Four assets, you know. So, you know, I'm the first person to jump on the bandwagon when organizations like the EPA and different governments organizations mistreat our industry. I'm also the first to say, you know what, when an industry makes a mistake and you get fined, you deserve it, right? So hopefully this changes behavior at Calgon. This was an easy fix and it looks like to me they decided just not to do it. I suspect that the amount of fines is probably not as much as it would have cost them to go in and stop the methane emissions. So I suspect it was a business decision. Don't know that. That's me speculating. I'm but sure somebody got fired over it. I'll guarantee you somebody got fired over this. But they're now required to do very specific corrective actions, different level inspections and equipment upgrades. And then their permitting processes is going to be an extra layer of reviews, which nobody likes Ooh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not. So that's, we're going to keep an eye on this. But this is a place where I think the EPA did the right thing. All right. Gazprom keeps gas flowing despite dispute with Ukraine's NAFTO gas. Yeah, so Gazprom is still flowing natural gas to Europe. Thank goodness we're in the summer now, not in the winter, through Ukraine's nat gas entity. Now, they're flowing about 40 million cubic meters per day. They continue to flow about 40 cubic millions today. Gazprom has paid the fees for the actual gas, but what they have not paid is the transit fees. The transit fees is where NAFTO gas actually makes its money. Now, According to NAFTA Gas, because the funds are not paid by Gazprom at all for the gas transit, they're looking at suspending the flow of gas until basically Russia decides to pay what they own. It is funny that these two countries right now are in a ferocious war. Yeah. And yet business is still being done between the two of them, or in this case, part of the business is not being done. I suspect that Gazprom's could give in. They can't afford to have this revenue disappear. And what Ukraine knows is that right now, because it's the summer in Europe, the demand for natural gas isn't as high, and it may piss a lot of people off, and it may make people uncomfortable without this natural gas to get cut off for a few days, but they're not going to die from freezing to death. So if you look at it from a timing point of view, this is the right time for Ukraine to cut this off to make sure they get paid. I suspect Russia's going to go ahead, last minute, to go ahead and pay these transit fees because they don't want a disruption of revenue. True. True, true. Shell considers selling stake in renewable power unit as CEO turns focus back onto fossil fuels. Hey, HSBC, remember what I said just a few <laughs> minutes ago? <laughs> so this is Shell's new CEO basically looking at his portfolio business inside of Shell and says, you know what? 
Our renewable power investments were not a good investment. We're not making a profit on them. In fact, we're actually losing money on several of them. A couple of them are breaking even. Maybe it's time to sell them, which I agree with. Now, their new CEO is coming under a lot of flack, of course, from environmentalists from this approach. But the truth is, when you heard me say this before, both Shell and BP have fallen way behind Exxon and Chevron because of their renewable investment strategy, which was ends up being wasn't a good one. Now, discussions are still at a very, very early stage, but it looks like Shell's also consider bringing some outside investors. So they may keep some of these renewable parts of the business with the outside investment of capital. And if they don't, they're going to go ahead and sell it. Now, of course, no representative Shell was able to comment on this. Now, if this deal does happen, it's going to be a significant shift in Shell's renewable strategy, which means the only company out there, only super major out there that's going to fall behind is BP. I suspect that BP's looking at what Shell's doing. And if Shell dumps their renewable business, especially if they don't bring outside investment dollars, but goes ahead and puts it up for sale and dumps it, BP will do the same because they're going to have to, to stay competitive in the market. Now, Shell's approach, honestly, was a lot driven by the European public sentiment, right? And the Europeans are realizing that the renewable energy push as fast as it was tried to push by the government wasn't good for the European people. So this is really interesting to watch. On top of, you're looking at the investors for the US major, so Chevron and Exxon basically rewarding them because of how much bigger their valuations are compared to their European counterparts. So this is the pendulum swinging the other way. What I don't want it to do is overcorrect I would hate to see the super majors quit investing in renewables completely, which I don't think will happen, but it could be that they can make a big enough drop in their investment dollars so they're not actually discovering new things. You have to remember, a lot of the technology breakthroughs in the renewable market page were made by the oil and gas industry. Right. The lithium ion battery, biofuels, all that stuff was done by us because we operate in the middle of nowhere. We need to keep exploring renewables as an addition to our hydrocarbon business. All right. Slumberjay halts tech and equipment supply to Russia. It's not Slumberjay anymore. I don't care. <laughs> SLB, formerly known as Slumberjay. I don't like the name change either. Anyway, basically is saying that we're going to stop importing oilfield technology into Russia from all of the SLB facilities worldwide. And they're doing this in response to the escalation of standards, Western standards to get Russia. Literally everybody else, all of their competitors, Baker Hughes, Halliburton, Weatherford, all stopped their businesses last year. Yeah, somebody's a little late to the show. Yeah, all the super majors literally pulled out of Russia. So not only did they quit work, but just basically pulled out. And so they are a little bit late to the show. If you remember, they were also one of the few companies that when all this started happened with Ukraine, didn't help get their expats out of Russia. Right. I don't know whatever the end result of that. Hopefully they did eventually get their expats out of Russia. But this is a pretty big blow to SLB. They have about eight percent of the Russian service market, which they're gonna end up walking away from that revenue, which is the right thing for them to do. The reason they waited so long, Paige, is there wasn't a legal incentive to force them to do it. Love Slumberjay to death. Interesting. But, but all of your competitors ethically stopped selling stuff in Russia before the sanctions made them do it. You waited till the sanctions made them do it. Shame on you, Slumberjay. Ah, uh-huh, you called it Slumberjay too. <laughs> <laughs> What's your saying when you SLB? I'm going to get some flax. I have a lot of friends at SLB, but this really, they should have done it earlier. But they waited till the sanctions made them do it, and that's when they decided to pull the trigger. Yeah, well. All right. Japan wants a global emergency natural gas reserve. Interesting. So all of the IEA countries are required to have crude oil storage 
that equals about three months of supply for their country. I didn't know this until we read this article, which means the U.S. is in violation with our strategic petroleum reserve because last time I looked, we had 11 days of reserves in the strategic petroleum reserve, not three months, not 90 days. Maybe that's why Biden's putting stuff back into it. Don't even get me started. What they're putting in is just a PR stunt. Literally the last amount of crude that they bought to put in the strategic petroleum reserve runs the country an extra 10 hours. Oh, well, good. Yeah. So anyway, this is really interesting. So what Japan is wanting to do, so they have a strategic petroleum reserve, just like all the other IEA countries. Now they're saying they want a strategic natural gas reserve, which I think is genius, right? So buy the natural gas was cheap long-term wise, build a natural gas storage, just like you have a strategic petroleum reserve. But now that natural gas can be used to generate electricity. And you know, the deal is much cleaner than coal and Japan's resource constrained. They literally, they're volcanic islands. They have almost no natural resources other than the food and the fishing that they provide. But as far as mineral resources, they have almost none. So I think this is genius by Japan. I can't believe somebody didn't think of it earlier. And now that I've watched the reasons for Japan doing this, I think the U.S. should do this. I think we should have a strategic natural gas reserve so natural gas prices get high, we can buffer it. I don't mind the U.S. government using a strategic natural gas reserve to buffer prices, unlike the crude oil, which we need to keep in storage in case something really bad happens. So I think it's a great idea by Japan. I think we ought to copy. I think actually all countries should copy this. It's a way to keep electricity prices even for their country, and it gives them a backup to their strategic petroleum reserve in case something really bad happens. Makes sense. All right. Total Energy's Aramco and uh, Sabic successfully process oil from plastic waste. Now, let me tell you, this sounds like the articles you hear about recycling plastic all over the place. This is really, really different for a couple of reasons. Number one, this process did not depend on a certain type of plastic. And you go, so what? This means that the cost of having to sort the different plastics, if you don't know this, oh. your plastic water bottle has a little funny arrow triangle with a number in it. I think it's three, which is different than the plastic that's in your clothing, which is the same little funny triangle with arrows, which is actually a two. Those numbers say what type of plastic it is, and you have to sort them, which means people, because machines can't do this yet, have to go through the plastic race and look at what type of plastic and put it in different bins. It adds significant cost. This is the first time that the plastic did not have to be sorted. They didn't care where it was. Now, most plastic recycling takes the plastic and recycles it into something very similar to what it was before. So, for instance, plastic water bottles. When you recycle plastic water bottles, most of that turns into plastic water, water bottles, bottles, right? Yeah, right. This it. is something different. All these plastics turn to something called plastic power season oil, right? So, PDO is the terminology for it because we have to have acronyms for everything in this industry. <laughs> this PDO oil can be used to turn into gasoline diesel or feedstocks or other plastics. It's going back to the fundamental hydrocarbon molecules itself, which means I don't have to make plastic water bottles from plastic water bottles. I can make diesel from plastic water bottles. I can make clothing from plastic water bottles. Well, that's a game changer. It really is. And here's what's cool. This is a joint venture between Total Energies, Aramco, and SABIC, and they all put money in this and page. They're breaking even. Huh. Now, that's phenomenal. So this is not being done in vitro. This is not being done in a lab. This is actually done at mass scales, mass market, and they're breaking even, which means in a very short amount of time, they'll start making a profit on it. This is the future, I think, of plastic recycling. It's genius. What they're able to do with end product is almost anything and everything. The fact they don't have to sort it, have those additional costs. So hats off for these companies for figuring this thing out. This is really cool, earth-changing stuff. Very much so. Awesome. 
Climate activists glue their hands on airport runway. Might need amputation. Hey, just stop oil. (laughs) How about we just stop being able to use your hands? This is my favorite. This is my story. My oh, it's favorite gonna, story. It's going to get better. So this is Just Stop Oil decided to get on a runway and glue their hands to the runway in the act of civil disobedience. So this was an airport that was a commercial airport. Now, instead of using the other glues like their other peers have, they decided to use a mixture of concrete and epoxy. <laughs> The mistake they made is they bought the epoxy in the same store they bought the concrete. And for my civil construction friends, you know that one of the few ways you can join old concrete to new concrete. So if you pour in a pier in the ground and you pour 10 feet or a 30 foot pier, you can let that dry. You come in, you put a layer of epoxy on top of that concrete, pour your next, you know, 30 yards of concrete. And that specialized epoxy bonds the two pieces of concrete together like one along with the steel. It's in. I know I'm going to get hate mail for that. But anyway, simplifying. <laughs> so the mistake they made is they bought the epoxy that's made to join concrete to concrete. So when they glued their hands to the concrete runway with that epoxy and put concrete on top of it, guess what happened? That concrete then joined permanently <laughs> to the concrete of the runway, which means they can't get their <laughs> hands out. The surgeons have already said they're going to lose hunks of flesh and with the possibility of having to amputate the hands completely. So just stop oil. Number one, understand your organic chemistry a little bit better when you're using glues to glue your body parts down. Number two, you do realize that the energy to make that concrete came from hydrocarbons and that epoxy came from hydrocarbons as well. So honestly, I don't want them to lose their hands. I would like them to have to suffer a little bit because their actions were criminal. And I don't know what's going on in the UK because just stop oil is only in the UK. People are starting to not appreciate just stop oil and their civil disobedience and how it interrupts lifestyles and we're gonna get to that in a minute but just stop oil i have an invitation for you come to texas i want you to come to houston texas and i want you to line up on one of our many interstates and stop traffic because you're protesting oil and let me show you what really happens when you. that's how you get shot don't want anybody to get shot I'm sure a couple people would get bumped by cars. I think it would teach them I a just, lesson. It's so wild to me. I mean, they're so close to winning some Darwin Awards. Okay, so let's go to the next news article. <laughs> Exclusive Just Stop Oil gets a taste of their own medicine after prankster group crashes their 100% plant-based banquet with rape alarms attached to balloons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Just Stop Oil, which is a climate activism group with a bunch of young people who's hearts are in the right place, but who have no idea what reality is like or understand basic science, are in London and they want, they're having their internal celebration about their latest adventure. Probably wasn't the celebration of people losing their hands, but their banquet was thrown in a bit of a disarray. Why? Because there's another group called Just Stop Pissing Everybody Off. Can't make this stuff up. That really doesn't like does not like just stop oil because just stop oil when they have their protests do things and this is sad i just i read this just the other day mother had a baby that was having a seizure try to get to the hospital she couldn't get to the hospital because they were in the yeah Mm -hmm. so this other group just stop pissing everybody off is tired of just stopping oil doing stuff like this that's harming their economy that's making things dangerous for people that's causing a huge physical rift between the people that protest all gas industry and the people that don't because they're doing things that are criminal and so what just stop pissing everybody off did is they joined just stop oil 
They infiltrated them like spies. Nice. They brought balloons full of helium to celebrate, supposedly celebrate, but they attached rape alarms to these balloons. And there's a video if you want to go see this, and they let it loose. And, of course, the sound was so large, so loud that it disrupted everything. They had a mole that was undercover that did just – I'm not going to lie. just did a wonderful job of Kudos making Kudos to that old. person. <laughs> That's the best prank I've heard of in yeah. a really long um, time. Now, Just Stop Oil is trying to spin this as like it wasn't that big a deal. Evidently, what happened after the balloons with the rape alarms went off is Just Stop Oil tried to get to the balloons because the sound was so aggravating, except they were in a a building there with a room where the ceiling was 40 feet high. (laughs) (laughs) So then they had to go get ladders (laughs) to try to get to the balloons. And they just stopped pissing people off, kept taking their ladders while they weren't looking. (laughs) So there's a video out there. This is great. This is what happens when you piss the common people off to the point that they're going to push back on you because you're doing things you shouldn't do, Just Stop Oil. So once again, if you don't want to mess with Just Stop Pissing People Off in your own country, come to the United States specifically. Texas and come do some of your civil disruption here and let's see what happens. No, nah, don't invite them. They're we have not, enough people in Texas gonna, already. They're not gonna come. They're not gonna come. This is the point where I start talking about advertising with us. This is the last time I'm gonna say it for a while. We're full up. Sorry. Weekly rig count, but where are we? We're down six in the United States at six hundred and sixty-nine. Canada's even. Zero. No, no changes. One eighty seven. And then we're up to internationally at nine sixty-seven. Speaking of up naturally, if you want to come up naturally, go for LinkedIn page, just click to follow it. We have a bunch of new stuff coming out. We got a, actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it. We have a new newsletter coming out. We have a merch store coming out. We're revamping our old newsletter, our monthly events newsletter. So if you would, you're interested in sponsoring any of our newsletters, reach out to me. This is early on. You get in really, really, really cheap and get in front of our enormous global oil and gas audiences. Speaking of getting in front of enormous glass audiences, if you'd like myself or any of our experts to come speak at your event, Everything from doing a keynote to a sales and marketing kickoff. We do a lot of live podcasts for customer events. Reach out to me. Happy to share the details. First Friday Q&A, just go to OGGN.com, OilandGasThisWeek.com. Leave us a question. If we use your question, we'll give you a big shout out. If we don't use your question, there was a reason we didn't use your question, so don't send it three times. Ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.